0: But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The, earth. the earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We're going to pray, and uh, just as I told the earlier services, one of our members, a young man named Jared Fogarty, uh, had a, a really bad accident. Um, I think, I believe, Thursday, fell off a ladder and broke his, his neck, his back, and crushed his skull. And so he is at ICU at Memorial right now. Um, he's had some surgeries. I uh, haven't heard the latest today, but as of yesterday, it was it just did not look good. There's some major swelling in the brain and fluid. And so as a young man who came to faith a year ago, um, radical life change since he has, but um, we just want to pray for his family. Um, there's some people that are lost in the family and don't know the Lord, that, that uh, God would heal him. And so we want you guys to know it so you guys can be praying for our brother Jared. And uh, so let's pray together and we'll pray for our time in the Word as well. Lord Jesus, you are the great physician. And so we come to you asking to heal, um, which you've done millions of times. Uh, I pray for Jared right now uh, for a miraculous healing. You did it through, we saw last week, Peter, a paralyzed man of eight years, healed in the name of Jesus, a woman who died, healed and risen by Peter. Uh, so th- we know that you can do this if it be your will, and so we just ask that it would be. Uh, just as, as surgeries happen, Lord, and, uh, and consultations with these physicians, give them wisdom and insight of how to handle each each circumstance that comes their way. We just beg you for our brother. We pray that somehow his family would come to faith through this, that many would know you and your great power and your might that the church, that this church specifically, would love and care for those well in need. Um, and so I just pray your will be done, and we just pray for our brother. Please, please restore him and bring him back to us quickly. We pray for our time in the word, Lord Jesus. I thank you for uh, just the opportunity to preach this morning. We thank you for the rain. We need it. I pray that um, you would just bless us with your word, that you would refresh our souls with it, that you would help me, just a wretched, sinful man sometimes, Lord, to just proclaim a perfect savior in a way that you are exalted, Lord Jesus. We pray for all the pastors in this town as they preach this morning. May your spirit fall fresh. Give them unction and power and anointing so that the gospel is clear and that the church is built up. We can't do that. We are mere men. We are just broken vessels, jars of clay. Earthen vessels, but we want the surpassing power to be seen, Lord, that is you that's working. So please do it through us this morning. Help me for Jesus' name's sake, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts 11. We continue in our series one more week, and we're going to take a little Christmas break, do something we've never done before. I won't tell you what it is because then it'll spoil the treat. Um, But do a little Advent series this year. We'll come back at Acts in the new year. I do not like change, all right? I married a woman who loves change, okay? So I like my TV there, my chair there, everything there. And when I come home and it's all switched, I I struggle. I I wrestle with that. I paint a room one time. I don't care if it's 70s gold. It should stay that color forever, okay? We painted it once. We don't need to paint it again because I don't like change, all right? It it may come as a surprise to some of you, churches don't like change either. I know that's a shocker for some of you. You've never seen that before, that churches wrestle with change, right? But the reality is there's no more scary word in the church besides maybe Halloween or (laughs) potluck than change. We just don't do it well. But yet change is inevitable, it happens, right? And we're going to talk about change today. And, and I don't want you to be afraid. I know we have a member meeting tonight. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to announce that we're going to, you know, all of a sudden switch to the old King James version or something. I'm not going to scare you like that. Um, but change is inevitable for us as a church, y'all. It just is. We're going from four services to two. We're going from this sanctuary to another. We're going. For, there's going to be changes. Coffee is going to be moved. All these things are going to change. I'm going to start wearing a tie every Sunday. No, I'm not. <laughs> the Lord will come back first. But we're going to see in the text today that change is going to come to the early church, and they are not going to like it. They're not going to like it. They're not going to want it. But it's necessary. It is, it's God doing it. And we're going to kind of talk about what is it that keeps them from wanting to change because it's the same thing sometimes that keeps us from wanting to change. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to talk about how does God go about changing this and how does he work because it's the same way he works to change us still. And then we're going to talk about at the end briefly, what is it that never changes? Because there are some things that don't change, right? Pews, chairs, eh, change. But there's some things that stay consistent. So we're going to jump in, and let me give you a kind of a quick review where we've been in case you've been away at college, or in case you haven't been paying attention, or maybe you're new. We've been in the book of Acts. Last week, we saw this guy, Peter. He is at his buddy's house at the beach. He owns a tanning business on the coast, all right? And he is on the roof at lunchtime praying. They're downstairs making him some PB&J or something for lunch. He is praying, and all of a sudden, he falls into a trance, and a sheet comes down. And in the sheets, all sorts of animals. You got the snakes, you got the the lizards, you got the seagulls, you got the tupacabra, right? We got all these things. and, And God says, Peter, kill it and eat it. Eat the jambalaya, Peter. Eat the shrimp cocktail. Peter says, no, I don't eat anything unclean. And God says, don't call unclean, don't call common what I have made clean. And and we see in the process of the story that God is showing Peter that he is bringing the unclean Gentiles into the church, that now he shows shows no partiality, that Jew and Gentile alike are in one body, this new thing called the church. And Peter resists and he's uncomfortable at first, but he comes to understand this is what God is doing. But understand, not everybody's going to be happy about that. All right? Not everyone's going to be happy with the Gentiles. And you can understand why. If you're a first century Jew, your Bible, your Old Testament, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Always. Israel is the good guy. They're wearing the white. They got the white hat and the white silver. They're wearing like they're, they're, they're knights in shining armor and, and, the, and, the, and the guy in the, the dark outfit, the dark suit. The bad guy is who? It's always the Gentiles. It's always. Goliath, bad guy. Pharaoh, bad guy. Jezebel, bad girl, all right, Herod, Gentile, the Gentiles are bad, that's what they know, and now you're saying that the bad guys are coming into the church? Ooh, we don't like that. It's a change, but it's a change that God is making, and it's good, it's important. So let's see how it happens and see what God is is teaching them and, and by way of application teaching us. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. The rumor mill, it doesn't take long to get back to Jerusalem, okay? Caesarea by the sea is not too far, and and, and the the rumors are swirling. Gentiles, receive. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, we have Republicans and Democrats, they got the circumcision party, all right? It's not a very popular party anymore, (laughs) They criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. The criticism flies, right? Now, how many of you have ever been in the middle of what God is leading you to do? He's calling you to do. He has put you in this position. And those who are supposed to be closest to you criticize you. Man, it stinks. It hurts, right? But, but you're in good company. Peter? Paul? Jesus, right? How do, and so how does Peter going to respond? If it's me, and I'm Peter, I'm going to respond different. I'm going to be like, "And who are you again? Mr. Circumcision Party? No one voted for you? I, have you ever walked on water? You ever raised anybody from the dead? You ever see the transfigured Jesus? Well, then you be quiet, because I'm Peter, the first Pope. No, he's not the first pope, okay? <laughs> but that's how I would respond. But he knows that there's, this is a wrong way of thinking. This is a hard issue. And this is an issue that could split the church if he's not careful, right? Because he just recognized. He was there. He gets it. It's a wrong way of thinking, That's causing them to resist this change. And and it's the same wrong thinking that sometimes we have in the church when change is is, is on the horizon. And so here, let me highlight three wrong thinkings of them and us that that we do the same thing. Maybe it looks a little bit different, but it's the same thing. Here's the first one. And this is a biggie. That our traditions are more important that they trump the, the salvation. They trump the gospel. What are they saying? We don't like, they are more concerned with the fact that Peter may have ate a hot dog than the souls of those people. Who cares if they're going to hell? Did you eat the jambalaya, Peter? That's what they're concerned about. How wrong is that? How warped? And those are, these are Christians. These are people who identify with Jesus. Right? How different is that from the heart of heaven where one sinner repents there is a celebration. And these people are more concerned, well, are they following the rules? They're not like us. They don't eat like us, right? Now, we never in the church, we never hear anything like that, I know. I mean, we would never say anything like, we don't do it like that over here, or we've never done it like that before. Ever heard that in the church? No, (laughs) never, right? Yeah, you can't do that because this is what we've always done, it's, it's constantly an issue in the church where the gospel ceases to be the most important thing and our traditions see, are. This is, the, this is why you had the Reformation, by the way. Ultimately, is tradition trumps scripture, and so it didn't matter what scripture said, it mattered what tradition said. And so you have the Protestant Reformation, which is why we're here. And it's an issue in the church. And we got to remember, this, the church is not the building. It's not the event It is the people, and when the mission of the people and equipping the people and making disciples of the people is not the main thing, it's not the big E on the R chart, if something has taken its place, then we are missing the boat, and we're not functioning like the church. And so we ask, and this is what we do as a leadership team constantly, we are asking the big question, why? Why do we do that? Is that effective in our mission as a church? God has called us to equip disciples, to make disciples, so why are we doing that? Are we doing what we say? And you think, well, that's kind of, you know, we never see that in the New Testament. We absolutely do. Paul says, when I run, I do not run aimlessly. I run to win. When I box, I'm not just like, I want to hit my target. As a church, what has Jesus told us to do? Make equipped disciples. What does that look like? And so we ask, why? Is this effective? Are we doing what God has called us to do? Why do we do that? Well, you know, Joni used to do that when she was here 47 years ago. Joni's gone. She's with Jesus. She don't care. Sometimes we have to ask why. Is this part of the mission? Is eating hot dogs really a hindrance of making disciples? That's what they got to ask. Is eating jambalaya? It's not. Okay? And, And churches are really bad about two things. Number one, killing the sacred cow. We don't kill it sometimes because we've always done the oyster roast. And we can't not do the oyster roast because it'd be like denying the Trinity if we didn't do the oyster roast. And if we painted the hallway that, it's like we've denied the virgin birth. We can't do that. we gotta kill sometimes we gotta kill the sacred cow and eat it with bacon. <laughs> okay. Yes. Amen. A bacon sacred cow cheeseburger. Another thing that the church is really bad at is, is, is taking risks. It's being scared of failing. We might, what happens if we do this? And Is God asking? Let me, let me just tell you a little bit of secret about this church. Okay, don't tell anybody. We have learned more in the last seven years from things we've messed up and, and done wrong than the things we've done right. I mean, by tenfold, especially Cain. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> we've learned tons of mistakes, and we've learned from it. We've taken, oh, we'll never do that again. But churches are scared to fail, and they're scared to change things, because what happens if Joni gets upset? Well, is it effective to the mission, the church exists for God's glory to make disciples? And if, it, if that's the, not the big E in the eye chart, then, then why are we doing it? Got it. And this is this is a just as a side note, as a practical application. This is the same for your family, for your marriage, for your for your job. What is the purpose of your family? And if you're doing all these extra things that make your family crazy, then maybe you need to pull that one out. Maybe you need to, say, whoa, we're not doing that anymore. That's dumb. Why are we wasting our time with that? I don't know. You, you tell me, it's making us crazy. Right, this week I'm on a board and I got an email at 4:30 in the afternoon. you know, look forward to seeing y'all at the meeting tonight. I'm like, Didn't know I had that meeting. But I know that I have a hot date with my children's mama. (laughs) And so I got a choice. Am I going to call my wife and say, I got a meeting? Or am I going to tell these guys, y'all have fun? And I broke the law, and I emailed and drove at the same time. And I said, y'all have fun. I'm going on a hot date. What's more important? The hot date. Right? That's more important than the board. They'll be all right without me. It's the big E and the I chart sometimes, and you got to pull things away. That's the way it is in the church. So things change, things adjust. We'll see what doesn't change later, but some things do if it's not effective in making disciples, right? That's the first wrong view, though. Our traditions, the way we do things, it trumps the gospel, the most important thing. Here's the second one is that my kind of people are better than your kind of people, and that is at the heart of what they believe. Because we don't eat hot dogs, and you do, we're better. Y'all don't fit this. Y'all don't belong here. And it is the most offensive mindset in the eyes of God, because what that is showing a person believes is that because I do something, I am more acceptable to God. Not because of what Jesus has done for me, because what I have done, God likes me better than you. And it is an offense to a holy God who gave his son so that you might be declared righteous. The whole point of the church is that no one fits. No one really belongs. There's one qualification sinner. Y'all are qualified. <laughs> right? And because no one really fits, we all do. That's the idea. That God has adopted from all different backgrounds and peoples, sinners, into his family, which means there's gonna be people in heaven that you don't like right now. In fact, there's people you're like, oh, I can't believe that guy became a Christian. Oh, bummer. As long as my mansion's not next to his, I'm fine. Right? There's, that's the way we work sometimes. But that's, we all are one family. There is no people that fit. There is no my kind of people. It's sinners who need a savior. They don't get that because they thought they were good, because they don't eat hot dogs. They don't eat jambalaya one more wrong attitude, is that God has to work in the way I think he should work, in our way. And our way involves no hot dogs, no shrimp cocktail, and getting circumcised. That's the way God moves. That's the way God works, right? You can join us fine, but you got to do things our way, because that's the only way God works at this place, through these kinds of songs and these kinds of this and these kinds of And this is formulaic Christianity, which I, when I became a new Christian, I bought into hook, line, and sinker. Right? I thought this is the way it works in my little box and this is the way you parent. And then I had kids and realized, oh, yeah. Okay, parenting book. Yeah. Exactly. Right. The formulaic Christianity is dangerous. Because the only formula in scripture is whoever walks by the Spirit does not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's the formula. And right? so you can, it's not, it's fine if you want to kiss dating goodbye, y'all. Kiss dating goodbye. Read the book great principles. But you can find a spouse and have a good marriage even if you don't kiss dating by, believe it or not. You can. There's different positions on different things. We had a guy in this church a couple years ago. He's not here anymore, so I can tell the story. (laughs) He he should write a book on how not to find a wife. Because he was clearly, he asked this girl out, and she was our first scad convert, and he was clearly dating up. Clearly, everyone knew it. We are like shocked, right? And on the second date, this guy tells her, God wants me to marry you. I'm thinking, well, when you're dating up, bring the God card in. You might as well. <laughs> Trump, that's a good trump,er right? Jesus says, you need it. Fine, Jesus. I wouldn't have done it that way. This wouldn't have. They got married. I married them right here. They got a kid. I'm telling you. I wouldn't have done it that way. All right? But they got a great marriage. Their brother, Jimmy, where's, where's Ricky? Ricky in the service? Ricky's here. He's one of our first deacons. I'm like, man, you just need this. Woo, don't do a dating book. <laughs> but same with parenting. Great principles of these things. But don't plug in a formula. Church planning, leadership, great principles. Because my experience is this. When you... When people get into this formulaic deal, they are more apologetic about their formula than Jesus. We're gonna, this is the schooling model we're going to do. This is the parenting model we're going to do. This is the dating model. And they care more about this book than they do about this book. That's what happens. And here's the biggest problem with formulaic Christianity. When the formula doesn't work, what do you do? When I plugged in the formula for my kids and they go off to college and they walk away, what do I do? When we kissed dating goodbye and did all the dating datings right, and then, and my husband has an affair, God forbid, or he dies, what do I do? When I follow the business principles and I still lost my job, my company fails, what do I do? I get mad at God because I did my part and he didn't come through on his part. That's what happens. That's why it's dangerous. There is no our way. There's... there's no, God is creative and does. he always does the same thing, but he does it in multiple different ways. He redeems and changes people's lives, but he does it in thousands and different ways. He's, he's not so boring that he does it one way, all right? And they, that's their mindset, but that'll keep us from being changed. Well, this is the way it has to work, or otherwise it doesn't work, okay? It, just as a side note, if you think that we do church the way the early church did church, they didn't, they didn't have our drummer. All right, they didn't have our building. There was things that were the same, but it looked a lot different. that's okay, right? He's he's a mighty God who does things in different ways. And, And you are here today. Let me give you a positive example. We are in this building because there was a group of 15 or so people who were willing to change. Their traditions, they were a congregational church, they were a Baptist church, didn't trump the gospel. They didn't care that we were a bunch of young idiots coming in here and tearing out pews and painting every wall we could, right? It wasn't their kind versus our kind, and they weren't insistent that we did things their way. The people of South Gardens Baptist Church who gave us this building five years ago, they had the right mindset. And if they didn't, y'all, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be building this building. We wouldn't have gone from 100 people to 1,000 people in four and a half years because they were willing to change. Not the gospel, but little things, preferences put aside. That's the model, right? So let's not be, let's not let these things infiltrate our hearts. How then does God bring about change in this text? Well, Peter is just gonna recap exactly last week's sermon. So you can go back at last week's sermon and listen, because I'm gonna read it, but I'm not gonna make a lot of points out of it because we did it last week. But there's there's three things that I'm gonna highlight just real quickly out of this kind of recap of last week that, that show how change happens. All right, so let me read through the entirety and then I'll come back, okay? Verse four, but Peter began and explained it to them in order, and he just cuts and pastes. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came to me. Looking at it, I close, closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, "When God, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were in which were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, "'Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household.'" And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? See, he just basically, I mean, he, gets, he tells the exact story. Sheet, PB&J, you know, Gentiles, blah, blah, blah. he walks through the whole thing. He says, and here it is. How does change take place in this passage and in Peter? Let me give you three things, real quick. Number one is this where does change come for Peter, Cornelius, for us? It comes when we pray. Peter is praying, he's not praying for change, he's just praying. He's not praying that he'll rock the church's world. He's just praying. Cornelius is praying, and he doesn't even know, really, anything but the Old Testament. He has no clue about Jesus. He's just praying. And what happens? In the context of them praying, God moves and changes. That's what he does now. Not only does he change circumstances, but you know who is most changed in prayer? Moi. Because prayer is not about getting God to do what you want. It's not about aligning God with your will. It's about God aligning you with his. That's what happens in prayer. So you're praying, you know, imprecatory prayers on your enemy, the guy whose business is, you know, lying about you. And what does God show you? I need to love my enemy, even if he is lying about me and cheating me and stealing from me. I don't like that. But I'm shown that when I'm praying for healing for my wife's cancer or for my parents or for Jared, what God is showing me is that I am already healed technically in Christ and I will be resurrected. And even if he doesn't heal and even if he takes me home, then I am ultimately healed and I'm content. When I'm praying for my new job or this business deal to go through or a raise or whatever, I am, I am shown that, that I am can be content as I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and God will meet our needs. And I, I learn to trust, even if I get the job, even if I lose the job. I'm praying for a future spouse, for, for a new, uh, for, uh, for my husband I don't, may, haven't met yet or that I would get married one day. And in doing so, God shows you, you know, whether I give you a husband or not, I am enough for you. You can be satisfied in me. Your Savior, your bridegroom. And God changes us in prayer. And and if you're looking at your life and you're like, you know, I haven't really seen much change, I'm kind of the same, I'm pretty sure that's because you don't pray. And I'm not talking about, thank you for the barbecue sandwich, Lord. I'm talking about time with your Savior praying. Because God changes you and me as we pray, He just does. So if you're looking for change in yourself and maturing, start with having a conversation with God constantly. That's how he starts to change in Peter. Here's another way in which God changes us, through repetition. Three times, Peter, kill and eat, kill and eat, kill and eat. Then he whacks him upside with a two by four and gets him to go down, right? There's repetition there. But here's, here's another thing. I don't know if you picked it up. He repeats the same exact thing in chapter 11 and chapter 10. Why would God have the Holy Spirit have Luke repeat the same story two times? Because he wants you to. Why does he do it again in chapter 15? Why does he write an entire New Testament book about basically why circumcision, this issue, is no longer relevant? Because we have thick skulls. And God sometimes has to say over and over and over and over and over again to do something because we don't listen. Do you know how many times it says to do not fear in the Bible? over 350 times. You'd think we'd get it after like the first hundred or so. Why does he say it? Because he knows we're hard-headed and we need repetition constantly. How many times has your wife said, you don't listen to me? You don't listen to me. 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 You listen to me. What'd you say? You don't listen to me. 16 years of marriage, I've been told that I still don't get it. I'm learning, kind of. What'd you say? Right? Repetition. In fact, Peter, I think Peter picks up on this and he realizes at the end of his life when he's about to go home and be with Jesus, when he writes 2 Peter, he says, I'm going to remind you of these qualities, though you know that and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in his body to stir you up by way of reminder. I think Peter's like, I'm a dummy and I need to be reminded and I'm the first pope. He's not the first pope. (laughs) I'm Peter. So I'm going to remind you church because I just, I know how we are. If you if the same thing keeps coming up in your life, same issue, teenagers. If your parents are telling you the same thing over and over, constantly, constantly, you probably need to listen. All right, because they see something. If your spouse is saying you do this, do this constantly, you need to listen. God is bringing it up. If you see if the Holy Spirit is the same thing keeps coming up in the sermons, it's not because I'm being repetitive. Maybe I am a little bit, but it's because the Spirit is showing you this is your issue. If your boss is saying this about your work, if your roommates keep telling you this about this, you need to listen because God may be trying to get your attention. And aren't we glad that he's so patient with us and he repeats himself? I mean, thank goodness that he does, right? But he teaches us through repetition. And here's, here's a little insight. When you do expositional preaching through a book of the Bible, you will constantly come back to the same theme. You know why? Because a book has a theme. And so if you're like, well, you just said that like three weeks ago, then I'm probably preaching accurately because the theme should constantly run through the book. That's the whole idea because God knows that we need to hear it. He repeats himself. And here's the last way in which Peter brings about change or God does. He appeals to the word of God. He, he, he uses the powerful and mighty word of God. Look what he again says in verse 16. He says, I, I remembered the word of the Lord. He says, I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us in the beginning. And I remembered what God said. I remembered what Jesus said, how he said, John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he makes a logical conclusion. If then God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that could stand in God's way. He said, this is what God said. Jesus said this, and I am not going to get in the way of God and his word. It's a pretty good idea. He uses the power of the word of God. He quotes the Savior. Where is the power and authority? It's not in me. Any authority and power I have is right here. This is what changes. It is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is literally breathed out by God. It is his breath that he's given to the church, and it is powerful. And he appeals to this. And you want to see change? You go to this, right? And change, for some of you, you're thinking, Bill, you're talking about change a lot. Change does not mean we change truth. Now, the culture says, oh, you know, the Bible, it's sexually outdated. It's view of marriage. It's view of work. It's view of, you know, God. And we need a more relevant Jesus. If something is true, it's true. It's not true for you, true for me. This is our source of truth right here. This is what at CBC, one of our core values, one of the specs of our discipleship, the very first one is that we submit ourselves to the scripture, that here is our authority and we put ourselves under the authority. And if God says this, we say, okay, that's what God says. Okay, we don't change this because we don't like it. We don't change this because it doesn't make us feel good. We change to the truth. That's what Peter appeals. This is what Jesus said. And and if they really were doing a little bit of studying, they probably could have gone back to their Old Testament and seen Peter wasn't saying anything new. Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, and you, all the nations, plural, of the world are going to be blessed. What's he talking about, nations? Everybody. In fact, Paul in Galatians says that he's preaching the gospel. That's preaching the gospel to Abraham. Because he's saying that all the nations will be blessed in your seed, i.e., Jesus of Nazareth. You read the Psalm, Psalm 67, let the nations be glad. Psalm 96, let the nations see the glory. God has always been a God of, of the people. How many Old Testament people, the Gentile, the bad guys come in? Rahab the harlot, Ruth the Moabitess, Nebuchadnezzar, bad dude, becomes a believer right? Constantly we see it. They just had to do a little work and see, oh yeah, God has been doing this. But these people are are given the word of God. Are they going to change? Thankfully they do. When they heard these things, they fell silent. I would have loved to have been there for that silence. How long do you think? It was like five minutes, I bet. Like, fine. (laughs) And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted. What are we going to do? God has granted them life. And thank, thank goodness he did, y'all. If We were here. They, they didn't have a church vote. Well, let's vote on bacon. Everyone in favor of bacon, say aye. Bacon. Everyone in favor of minor surgery for all the men, say aye. No. <laughs> right? Thank goodness. Otherwise, for our start here class, we'd be having start here and circumcisions right afterwards. <laughs> right? Not doing it. <laughs> right. Praise the Lord. So we have wrong thinking, and we have the way God changes these people through prayer and through repetition and through His Word. And then we talk. Let me talk briefly about what what doesn't change in the church. What stays the same? Pews, no pews. Drums, no drums. Trumpet, tr- organ. You know, blue color, pink, all those things. Whatever. What stays the same? That that's that's the rest of this text. And and this is a. Just to give you a kind of back on, this is a transitional text. In fact, most, if you try to go find a sermon on this text, you won't find any because no one preaches it. So um, it's just because it's transitional. It's a hard text to preach, but I want to highlight some things out of it. And what that means is we, in the first part of this book, it, it's really been center, center, the center of it has been Jerusalem and around Peter. It's kind of Peter and Jerusalem. There's all the little things, but it's Peter and Jerusalem. We're transitioning in the last half of this book to a new city called Antioch and a new guy named Paul. So this is kind of one of those transitional in the middle pieces that kind of gets us from, from Peter, Jerusalem, to Paul, Antioch. Uh, but in this little transitional paragraph or two, there's a couple things that I want to highlight that, that show a snapshot of the early church, and, it's, and the things that they do are the same things that we do. These don't change. Verse 19. Now, those who were scattered... Oh, here, and here's, here's a picture of where Antioch is, by the way. Here's Antioch. This is Jerusalem. It's 300 miles north. It's a very wicked Roman. Uh, it's, it's, it's a city. It's, not, it's Roman because the government, but it's, it's got a great immorality. There's temples, prostitutes, and all these just, just wicked city. It's actually in the early church. You can find some writings how the influence of Antioch was so bad that it, it was influencing and corrupting Rome 1,300 miles away. Just a bad city. But God is gonna choose to plant a church in this little city that's going to change the rest of the world. It's gonna be the greatest missionary hub In the world. It's not going to be Jerusalem anymore. It's going to be Antioch, right? And so, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. That's the Greek-speaking Jews. And they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Underline that phrase in your Bible. They came preaching the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Here's something that never changes in the church, that we preach the Lord Jesus. That we preach the exclusivity of Christ and Christ alone. That there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. That doesn't change. Well, that's very narrow-minded of you, Bill. That's very, that's very unloving uh, of you. It is, it is not unloving. It is the most loving thing in the world to tell the truth. And if we are preaching the Lord Jesus among other gods, then we're not preaching Christianity. The thing that doesn't change in the church is that we preach there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. That Jesus is God. he took on humanity. He died on a cross as your substitute, to absorb the wrath of God on himself and that he rose again and that through faith in him and repentance of sins, you can have eternal life. That does not change. It cannot. Or we are no longer the church. And Paul's gonna say this. I read it this morning in my quiet time. Just as a reminder, he says... For we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the church. Christ crucified and resurrected. It is good news. It does not change. It may be foolishness to some and it may be a stumbling block to others, but it is the power of God and the wisdom of God for those being saved. It doesn't change. Period. Let's continue on. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed, they turned to the Lord. I don't know why that phrase. They turned around is the idea. They repented. The second thing that doesn't change in the church is that we will call people to repentance of sin. Look, everybody is welcome to come as you are. But when you follow Christ, you take up your cross and you follow him, you are turning from the world and your immorality and your sin and your idolatry and you are turning to a true God and a savior. And we will call people to repentance. That's what we're called to do. And if you're sitting in this church and you are comfy in your sin, there's a problem. If you're comfy, just comfy looking at porn, if you're comfy getting drunk, If you're comfy being a gossip, if you're comfy lying to your parents, cheating your boss, if you don't have a problem with that, then there's there's a heart issue there. Because when we follow Christ, it's not that we stop sinning, but we stop liking it. And there should be a repentance. We need to constantly turn from your sin back to Christ. And we will call people to that because that's what Jesus calls us to, to turn from our sin and to turn to him and what he has done. That cannot change in the church. We will call it sin. And how do we know what sin is? Right here. If this says it, it's sin. If it doesn't, okay, then there may be grayers. but what is clear here, we will call sin and call people to repentance. Let's continue. The report of this, this people turning, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, good old Barney, goes to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Don't you love Barnabas, the encourager? He comes and he says, don't, you guys don't give up, don't stop, you can do it. And here's the third thing that won't change, that we will gather and and we will encourage one another to love and good deeds. That is what we are called to do. That your job as you come is to provoke and to stimulate others to love and good deeds. That cannot cannot stop because it is a difficult world out there and there is a mess and we need. That's why we gather. That's why you have community groups so that you you can do it and you're pressing each other towards the finish line. When you're hurt, That there's comfort when you're scared that there is people reminding you, greater is he that is in you than He's in the world. When you're wounded, that you're loved. When you're weak, you're carried. When you're in sin, you're called to repentance. When you doubt, you remember that Jesus conquered the grave for you, that he's prepared good works that you may walk in them. That's why we gather. That's why it's important that you just don't come in and leave. That's why it's important you don't just stand there during the greeting time, that you get into a community group, that you serve on a team, that you know people, that you can walk alongside. This is a place of encouragement. Yes, we'll call people out in sin, but it's a place to say, you can do it. There's the prize. Keep going. That cannot change. And then one more thing. Let me read the rest of the paragraph. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, And when he found them, he brought them to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is where Christians came from, this little city. It was was a negative term at first, little Christs. But now it's become still negative, but in a different kind of negative, right? We call ourselves Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. There were several famines in the days of Claudius, history tells us. We don't know which one, but this guy predicts it. He has the gift of prophecy. And so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Don't you love that this Gentile church is sending money to this Jewish church, even though they didn't like him originally? That's what the gospel does. It changes the heart. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let me highlight one more thing to you. It just, this is a snapshot of the entire paragraph, is, is that what stays the same in the church is that every member is a minister. How many different pieces of the church do you see just in this paragraph? You got encourager guy. You got teacher guy, Saul. You got prophet guy, Agabus, who's going to come back later. And every time he prophesies, it's never good. But he prophesies a famine here. Later, he's going to prophesy that, that Paul is going to get arrested. You got the mercy people who are giving of themselves. You have the givers who God has given much and they're giving. You have the administrators who are figuring out how we're going to organize this to send it with Paul and Barnabas. You have those with faith who are giving even though they don't have. You got all these pieces working together, but yet it's one body, one church functioning. And here's the greatest part about it what are their names? We don't know. You don't think Luke knew? I guarantee Luke knew. Luke's a doctor and he's Mr. Detail Guy. He could have found out who was the guy that started it. All it says is some men from so-and-so started the church. They started the greatest missionary hub in all the New Testament. Who were they? Who knows? You mean it wasn't Peter? Nope. Just a bunch of nobodies functioning as the body. Planning a church and they send the gospel all the way to Rome. What I think about when I think about a bunch of nobodies planning a church, not to be offensive, but I think about us. All right, a little church on 69th Street. Let's be honest, most of you didn't even know this building existed until you came here because I didn't. If no one does, they're like, "What that church? Where, where's that?" Uh, By Barnes. Oh, yeah, I know Barnes. Okay, Barnes. (laughs) Nobody knows. Bunch of nobodies. No PhDs on this staff. All the PhDs are out there. These are P-E, PhD. (laughs) All right? But what has God done? People's lives have changed, right? People have found Christ. Christ. He's done great things through a bunch of nobodies. That's the church, right? Because we have, we have preached Jesus. We have called people to repentance. We've stirred you up into encouragement. And most of you are engaged somehow in ministry. Those things have stayed the same. And they must. Those don't change. New buildings coming. Two services, three. Nurseries here, coffee here, who cares? Parking over there. Those things will change, Right? certain things stay the same. And as we move to worship, here's what I want you to ask. Is there anything in you that needs to change? Is there is there something is there a repentance of sin that needs to take place today? Is there a resisting there? Is there an embracing of someone that you you've been holding off because they're different, you don't like them, they're this, they did this in my old church. Those things need to be dealt with because they will hinder your growth. Is there any prayer in your life, y'all? I mean, is, how is your prayer life? I'm not saying you have to be, you know, like James, old camel knees, but is there ever a time where you just get away with Jesus and talk to him? Don't use King James language, you just kind of talk? See so Those are things that are gonna mold us into his image. And so if, if there's not, then this is your time. When we're singing, you spend it praying. We're gonna worship and we're gonna sing and we just ask the spirit would come and, and open our eyes to where we need to turn. So why don't you stand with me and we'll sing.